Greetings. This is uh, Pastor George Nicholas, chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, and you are tuned into Igniting Hope podcast. Sponsored by the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, where our mission is to eliminate race-based health disparities here in this region. It's been a while since we've been with you, but it's great to be back. And we will be back consistently with a number of podcasts that will be a blessing and will provide some very important information for this community as we move forward. Remember, if you want more information about the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, please log on to our website at buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org. We're broadcasting today from our office down on Genesee in the Highmark building. And stay tuned where we're going to be having some more information about some more activities that we're going to be having here at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. We will be able to share with you very shortly about our Black History Month mini conference that we're going to be doing in the month of February. And it will focus on maternal health. So just stay tuned to the Nighting Hope podcast or log on to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, to receive the information about this. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Reverend Emmanuel Hutcherson, who is the Executive Director of the Future Hope Apprenticeship and Recovery Program. But it's in Boston, Massachusetts. And there's a connection because Reverend Hutchinson was a Buffalo native and had achieved some really good results in terms of reducing recidivism rates. Uh, recidivism is the when our brothers and sisters who are locked up, and, but they return back into community. We want them to stay in the community, but if they find themselves back in the criminal justice system and go back to prison, that's recidivism. We want them to pay whatever that they may have to society, and but then to, once they're released, we want them to return and be a productive member of our community. And so that's what Reverend Hutchinson has been doing, working in Boston, Massachusetts. But the Spirit of God has led him to return to Buffalo and expand his work. The Buffalo Center for Health Equity is going to be partnering with Future Hope Apprenticeship and Recovery Program to begin to start working on some issues around workforce development, housing, and mental health, job training, all kinds of things to help people who, who are part of our community. Just because you're not defined by what you do, right? And some sometimes on our journey, all of us, we've made some mistakes. Some mistakes are bigger than others. And sometimes our mistakes may find us entangled in the criminal justice system. But that does not have to be a life sentence uh, in terms of continuing to pay once you're released because you're not able to find the proper housing or the proper employment or get access to the proper mental and health services that you need. And this is part of the social determinants of health. That's why we're partnering with Reverend Hutchinson. So I wanted to share this, some time with, with you and with him 
to talk about this program and then give you information about how if you have someone in your family or maybe even yourself is going to need some assistance getting reacclimated into a society, we're going to be there to help you out. So Reverend Hutchinson, hello. Say hello to our listening audience. Hello. And so share a little bit about your vision, about what you believe and what you see happening here with the work that the Future Hope Apprenticeship, our Future Hope Apprenticeship and Recovery Program. Thank you, Pastor Nicholas, for having me here. This is a great opportunity, pleasure, and honor. As you mentioned, originally from Buffalo, New York, um, I reside in Boston, Massachusetts at this time. And the Lord has envisioned me with this ministry, this program, that is to reduce the recidivism, the incarceration, as much as we can. So within the Future Hope Apprenticeship and Recovery Program, we provide job training in the construction industry. We also provide services in the addiction, substance abuse, and recovery community as well, so that we can have the appropriate services that we believe that will help the individual and the process of returning back to the community, the family, society, that they can see themselves being successful. Thank God, Dave, Pastor Nicholas, willing to partner with me, willing to help see that what we're doing in Boston initially take place here in Buffalo, New York. And honestly, I pray, <laughs> you know, I'm a man of faith, a um, man of vision, and I truly believe this is a divine connection um, in the process of me praying. And actually, the Lord said, what you're doing with me here in Boston, I'm asking you if you could allow me to bring this back to my hometown, Buffalo, New York. And so here I am. So I feel tremendously blessed. So tell me a little bit about what actually happened. Let's walk through the process. A person finds himself caught in the mix. Maybe they're facing probation, parole, or maybe they've done their time and have been released. And they reach out to you in this program. Tell me what's going to happen. From that aspect, what we do is uh, we, we do our own assessment, and we kind of get more insight of it. For the most part, those who are transitioning, we have in place the job components with this, which is in the construction industry, which we train them in the carpentry, the painting, drywall, tape, and roofing. They will be able to get their OSHA training, CPR, hard saving. They get a certificate from the program as well. And with this, these are credentials, I call them, because once we do referrals and with the job placement within the construction industry, whether it's union, non-union, also looking to build a strong relationship with the unions, trades here in Buffalo, as such as I've done in Boston. And with that said, that is a success. So now individuals uh, really see themselves, you know, making real provision for themselves, but mainly for the family, being that productive individual in today's society and community. So tell me, like, so when a person gets locked up, right, when they, how does that impact their family? Let's talk about trauma or how does it impact the family emotionally? How does it affect the family financially? It, well, it does. It has a combination. Um, trauma definitely impacts the family in a negative way in reference to economically. Here go a man more so father, husband, whatever. If he's incarcerated behind those prison doors, jailhouse doors, it's impossible for him to make provision for a family. So now that leaves a single mother fending 
for the family, whether it's one child or five children. It varies, but it's challenging even if it's one child. So what is initiated is that how can we better assist in this urgent matter? Because it is an urgency. And for the most part, if we can get to them in the process of them returning back home, that actually makes it a much smoother transition. So so when you talk about a smoother transition, what's that look like? Well, that looked like where we go behind the walls, we meet with them, and we kind of prepare them for the transition, engulf them with resources, primarily with the services that we're offering. So when they come out, it would be what we call a reconnection. You know, they reconnect back with us and continue that process of going and getting acclimated into the, the services that we're providing and offering to the individual. So, you know, the data shows us that just the general population in America, we have millions of people who are incarcerated. We lock up more people than any country in the world. And half of those people who are incarcerated have children on the outside. Yes. And then when you look at the data as it relates to African-Americans, where we're disproportionate amount of people in the prisons, that number actually is even higher. Yes, it is. So this program is really kind of a community impact, right? An impact that doesn't only help the individual who is trying to get reacclimated into society, but to it helps that family kind of regain some sense of normalcy or sense of stability, per se. Can you talk about why that is so important? Well, today, as you mentioned, statistically speaking, there's a high percentage rate of African-American or black and brown families, per se, who are incarcerated. And for the most part, even if I was to share with you from a national statistic, what they call a projection, nationally speaking, and during this time, it was actually put out in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, where statistics saying that there will be $5 billion that will be invested into building prisons. And Massachusetts is one of them, New York State and others. So I looked at that. And when they use that term projection, it's like a business term. It's like a businessman going to a bank or financial institute. And the first thing they ask them, what's your annual projection? You know, so here it is that nationally they're projecting to spend this kind of money to build prisons. And I think that it needs to be turned into programs. How can we better build a community folks who are despair? This program is set to impact a family to help them to transition, you know, into better and to not return, especially the individual who had once been incarcerated, not to return back to incarceration. That's the sole purpose. There's some, some statistics show that it's it costs almost a half a million dollars per person. But yes, in some, some cases. In New York State, to incarcerate an individual. Right. Um, and in New York City alone spends one point three billion dollars on incarcerating individuals. And what's interesting about that is 
we're looking, you know, multi-billions of dollars. It's more cost efficient to send an individual to one of our SUNY colleges <laughs> per year than to incarcerate someone. So we're living in a society that endures a higher cost to incarcerate than to educate. And then when you think about the profile of the those who are incarcerated, disproportionate amount, black and brown, one in five, one in four have mental health challenges. Yes. Some data I've seen, 60 to 70 percent, if not more, have been in the foster care system. Yes. Right. That's true. A large percentage of inmates have either dropped out or been put out public education in high school. Yeah. Many have had challenges with literacy or lack of literacy. There's all these dynamics that are going on, right? Exactly. Which leads to kind of a culture. It's like a prison culture. A prison culture. Right? And so programs like this Future Hope Apprenticeship and Recovery Program is designed to disrupt that culture. Right. And and so what kind of community partners are we going to need? Because one of the things that, you know, here at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, we we push collaborations, coalitions. There's no one entity that's going to be able to uh, tackle all the multiple layers and of problems that we have with the community. But, But if we come together, collectively, uh, I think that we can start turning some things around. So we've invested in getting this program started, but what kind of partners are you going to need in order to make sure that we're able to to support these individuals and families and put them on the road to success? Well, what I'm doing even now as we're talking, matter of fact, when I get back on tomorrow, I have a, a meeting with one of the high schools called Randolph um, Community That's in Boston, right? That's in Boston. And so they're looking to partner, and this is a factor because, as you mentioned, we're dealing with a variety of disparities, you know, Mm -hmm. from mental health, social, academically. We also provide services in the school system where advocates for um, families who have a child or children who might be an IEP recipient with this here. IEP in place, a lot of times there are families or single moms who really don't understand the process of the IEP and here go a child is still left behind. And for the most part, we found out that it was just about the social, got all these providers around the table waiting for the parent to sign. But the most important part, the parent actually is in control, but they don't know that. So the purpose of the IEP is to initiate a plan that will help this child to engage into mainstream, you know, not to remain on the IEP plan, you know, from grade school to middle school to high school. And high school sometimes don't even play a part because they drop out sometimes in the beginning of high school, you know, and then now we're dealing with an individual who is now a candidate for the criminal justice system. Yeah, you can almost predict let me jump in real quickly, but you know, I want you to finish your thought. But you could almost predict one of the things that the prison industry looks at is they look at academic 
achievement or lack thereof. Yes. And especially as it relates to get black and brown children. Yes. So here in West New York, Buffalo, we have, you know, every year the business first ranks the school districts. And every year, the districts that are at the bottom of the rankings are, are, are Buffalo, Lackawanna, and Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. And what is, what's the threat with those three districts? Well, those are districts that have a large number of black children in those districts. And in the Buffalo Public Schools right now, black children are two or three grade levels behind. Yeah. Right. And so instead of blaming, right, so what happens oftentimes in these situations is families will blame the schools, the schools will blame the families, the teachers will blame. And in the meantime, you know, nothing really changes, right? You know, when we think about our young men and women who are incarcerated, mm-hmm. one of the things that we as a community have to have is be much more empathetic. So, for example, when you know young people's stories and adults, it's no excuse. We're not making excuses. We're making explanations, yeah. right? And if you've been in a situation where you have been a victim of violence, witness domestic violence in your household, have struggled with addiction, drug and alcohol in your family, maybe your own, have maybe your mother, uh, we know that perinatal, prenatal services are women, is lacking in a lot of places. And so... Uh, you have all these things, and then you go to a school system where very few of the teachers or adult personnel look like you or live in your community or from your community. So you can't, you, it's difficult for you to relate. You talk about an IEP that, you know, that resonates with me because one of my, I have five beautiful children, wonderful children, but one of my ch- children is on the autism spectrum. And here I am, my mother, my wife, excuse me, my wife and I are both college-educated people. And just the challenges, you know, having a young black male, you know, with the diagnosis and even just making sure that he got the proper diagnosis. So there's a lot of young people in the schools who may have autism and Asperger's, but have not been properly diagnosed and they're put in these special education classes or labeled ADHD or all these other things and not getting the proper services and support. And then as they as they age out, right, and here you have an individual who who has struggling learning, struggling communicating, and has been surrounded by a, 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 an environment filled with violence and hostility and addiction. And this is the story of way too many of our children, right? And so if when they color outside the lines and commit a crime and they get caught, we cannot label a person who's that's their story as being bad. Exactly. Right? Because now we're putting on them that they're still part of our they're community. Yes, we, we still we have, we still have to love them yes. because the reality is is you know that they go to prison. And even, you know, there are people who are, who got bodies on them who, who are getting out, right? You know, so it's not even, not everybody that, that gets uh, convicted of murder, manslaughter, or something like that does life in prison, right? That's true. Right? And so now you have folks that are coming back into our communities, right? So we want to be able to not have them come back in to be predators or to prey on our community. 
but we want to, them to come back and be a positive member of our communities. But that doesn't happen by programs within the system. It only happens when communities engage, engage them. So, I mean, I, I, so I don't, I, there's a question there somewhere, but, but just kind of reflect on what I was just saying. Well, well, no, that's a true statement there because, as you had mentioned, first of all, this is what really drives me to do what I do. From seeing that the programs that's initiated within the system is not effective, not to take from them whatever is not working, whether the lack of cultural diversity or whatever it is, just not working. So it's been already shown that, okay, when a community who understands and relates comes in there with something that's substantial, that's well-structured, they see a different result. I have found out a lot of institutions really be realistic with themselves and they work with you. And then on the other hand, there's some who won't work with you, don't want to work with you for whatever reason. And now that could be another question. You know, is it because of their job insecurity? I had mentioned, I was telling Stan, I had a meeting at one of the state facilities and I had put together this curriculum called the um the preparatory. And the preparatory basically was designed to prepare an inmate who had done state time and prepare them for the transition, a smooth transition coming back into the home, the family, the community, society. And he looked and seen the curriculum and seen that it was purposely to reduce the recidivism, the incarceration, but there goes his response. In a jokingly manner, joking manner, as he said, oh, Red, what you trying to do, put me out of the job. Mm-hmm. So that there was a, <laughs> a green light. He said it like in a joking manner, but it is serious. Mm-hmm. So imagine if this program took the initiative to where it's all that you're housing 1,500 in the yearly time, and now it's reducing down to 500 or 700. Well, unfortunately, they're not going to need you working in this facility no more. The O's, the correction officers, they're finding themselves looking for employment. And you mentioned the incarceration uh, to house in Massachusetts is anywhere from forty-three dollars to $47,000 a year. It might be even higher, you know, but just speaking off the top of my head. And people in that facility is really trying their best to keep a job, but at the same time, we have a community concern is trying to keep them from going into those facilities. So it is a, a community, strong collaborative effort, even working with the public schools, the charter schools, because it starts with the young people. If we could get to them, we got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the school to prison pipeline, pipeline bus, you know, the cradle to grave, yes. you know, all these terms that we've had. Yes. And you know, let me share to our listeners, you know, we have this letter that from the Suffolk County Sheriff's Department, which is in Massachusetts, city of Boston. And the work that this organization has been doing has been achieving results. And one of the things, this, this was one paragraph on this letter, it says, and this is written by the supervisor of reintegration, which even as Reverend Hutchinson was talking about, that even within the system, there's kind of a little skepticism if we keep them out, it's going to 
put an impact in economically, but they have, they're able to see the work or the outcomes of the work that this organization has been doing. It says, we consider future hope a vital resource in employment assistance and in these other service areas mentioned above, like mental health services, housing, all these different things. Each inmate participant receives OSHA 10 certification, CPR heart saving certificates, certificates, along with assistance placing in jobs within the related field. The faith-based mentoring and practical hands-on vocational training provided by Future Hope helps our returning citizens, listen now, to build healthier relationships within their families and community and the ultimate goal of reducing recidivism, being gainfully employed, and returning them to productive lives. This is something that we need here in Western New York, and the Buffalo Center for Health Equity is partnering with uh, the Future Hope Apprenticeship and Recovery Program. We're going to uh, partner with developing an extension of the program that's been successful in Boston. How long have you been doing that in Boston area? 25 years. 25 years. So this is, Reverend Hutchinson is not no fly by night. Hey, let me go try to grab some money because it's out there individual. He's been laboring and with success. And so if the individuals complete the program and do all this different, and it's not going to be easy, right? But nobody expects it to be easy. But it's going to be a program that's going to hold people accountable while giving them skills. It's going to be a program that's going to give them access to being able to be self-sufficient yeah. and to meet the needs. It's going to be a program that's going to be able to identify whatever physical or mental health challenges that may be there and then connect him or her to services. Because, you know, again, our system, especially when it deals with black and brown, label us, they can put that label on you, inmate, convict, criminal, right, crazy, dysfunctional, all these things, if they can label that stuff on you, then it gives them in their own minds justification to treat you less than and even less than a human being. When you think about, when you're often, when you think about how effective the organizations like the Humane Society or the SPCA or PETA is in protecting animals. And I think it's a good thing. I mean, I don't think animals should be abused. But in a lot of ways, there are a lot of people in our community that are treated worse than animals. And we as a community have to develop that kind of support mechanism to help everyone in our community. And so... We're excited about having this program in Western New York. Reverend Hutchinson, because we're getting ready to close, um, again, Buffalo Center for Health Equity, we're going to have stuff, buffalocenterforhealthequity.org. We're going to have some of this information up on our website shortly. I would just ask people to kind of stay tuned. We're not up and running completely yet, but when we are up and running with this program, you will know. We're we're building the foundation now because we want to make sure that before we we open the doors and say to community members, hey, come on and get some help, that we're not scrambling trying to get, you know, we're scrambling to give you the help that we said that we're going to do. 
So any final comments as we close? No, but first of all, I'd like to thank you again, uh, Pastor Nicholas, you know, for this opportunity, for your support. I'm looking forward for the future Hope Apprenticeship Recovery Program to really take off and be very impactful and a vital resource for the Buffalo residents and communities. You've been listening to Igniting Hope Podcast. I am uh, Pastor George Nicholas, who I'm the chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, the African-American Health Equity Task Force, and just a number of different things in the community that we're putting together to serve. Our mission really is to serve this community and to have a positive impact on building the kind of beloved community where everyone has the opportunity to enjoy good health, everybody has the opportunity to prosper, feel safe, and really we've been 2022 was a difficult year for all of us, but we're believing that 2023 will be a year that will begin to start moving us in the direction of really healing and growing our community. If you want to listen to this podcast again, or listen to some of our past podcasts again, go to buffalocenterforhealthequity.org and you will have access to all this really good information. Thank you. We love you. And we'll look forward to connecting with you again really soon.